0: Well, if you have your Bibles, you can open them up to Luke chapter 24 uh, if you want to do so. That way you can have it done and um, ready to go. The message today is, are you traveling to or from Emmaus? Um, it's It's a message that applies to every single one of us in this room. Now, if you're driving... And you're headed for the highway, you will eventually uh, have to get on the service road. Uh, You will go up onto the on-ramp, and then you'll get on the highway. Uh, You will have to merge into the traffic that's already moving. And in order to merge, you will have to slow down, and you will have to look behind you to pay attention to the rest of the cars that are on the highway. Now, some of y'all really need to take good notes on that, okay? I'm just saying. I'm not going to point anyone out. But you need to really pay attention to the cars that are flying by. They will be rolling, and you will be the one. You will be the one that has, you have to merge. You are merging with the cars traveling on the highway. They are not merging with you. Now, you merge onto the highway because it is the most direct route to lead you to wherever it is that you are going. And many of us uh, want to get on the on-ramp and have the highway traffic stop to let us in. But that's not the way that it works. God is going somewhere, and He is the main highway. He wants us to merge with him and with his program. He is not trying to stop his program in order to merge with us, because that would be backwards. This is not how it works. We ought to be willing to submit to the will of God. Now today, we're going to pick up where Easter left off two weeks ago. All Christians realize that Easter is not a one-day celebrated weekend, but this is every Sunday for the believer is an Easter. Amen? Amen. And and we know that to be true. Um, We serve a resident Savior, and that Savior is moving, and His desire is for every single one of us in this room to go with Him, to move with Him. Now, this journey that we call the Christian life, it's uh, something that we merge onto. Um, in order to do so, we have to recognize who, the one, uh, who is the one that is driving. We have to recognize who is moving us in that direction. And of course, we know that. You cannot follow someone that you cannot see. You have to know who it is that's leading out, and it's Jesus. The Christian faith is not about arriving somewhere. It's not about destinations. The Christian life is a journey. All believers from every walk of life are on this journey. Today, in this room, you are one of two people you are either traveling to Emmaus or you are traveling from Emmaus. Emmaus says every single thing about you and about me. And my hope today is that when we leave, we will all discover and we will know the correct road regarding Emmaus. So today, I want us all to travel That same road that those early believers did, three days after the crucifixion. And I want us to merge onto the highway where Jesus is at. Let's take a good look at how you see him and evaluate what direction you are headed regarding Emmaus, that you may, uh, that will determine how you see him and it will determine your walk, and how you're walking and living for Jesus right now, today. Now, have you considered the notion that your faith in Jesus, it is not a one-time event? My Grandma Lowe used to always, she was, when she was alive, they didn't have a TV, so when you would go to Harold and Cleva Lowe's house in Ritchie, Missouri, population 62, Um, No TV, you had a lot of time to talk. Because that is all the time that you had. Uh, You could play with their sheep, which you can do that for a number of hours. Then the hours run out. Then you play with the chickens, all nine of them. And, I mean, you get so bored, you know exactly how many there is of everything everywhere. But you're going to spend all day long... Uh, talking. Now, when I was little, that was really tough, because you want to have fun. Uh, you want to do things. The last thing you want to do is talk for hours and hours and hours. As I got older, I loved those times where I could just hang out with my grandparents and just talk. Now, my grandparents, they were members of the Holiness Church, and the holiness, uh, to, to, to this day, now they found out when they got to glory, but prior to the time when both my grandma and grandpa passed away, in their mind, the only people going to heaven were those of the holiness, faith, and one Baptist, their grandson. They did. They, they did. And there was a reason for that. When I would be at my grandparents' house and we'd be talking and talking and sitting down and then talk some more, most of the time it's about the Lord because the way they grew up and the time that they grew up, it was hard. It was really hard. And so for them, my grandmother was so burnt on churches to where... In order to become a Christian, you would just now. This is her talking. I can hear her talking right now in my head. You know, Eddie, it's Eddie when you go home. You know, Eddie, there's a lot more getting saved than just walking down an aisle, signing a card, and shaking the pastor's hand. And I would say every single time, That's right, Grandma. I, I believe that too, totally. And she would say it. Every single time we would talk and get to talking about the Lord. I didn't know if she would just, Grandma, have you forgotten that I've heard that line like a trillion times in just every month? Or does she say it because she's trying to win me over? I don't know. So I would always act like it was the first time. That's right, Grandma. I I believe that too. And she was so burnt by Christians or supposed believers who made a profession of faith, and then they go out and they just live like the devil throughout the week. They don't practice anything that they preach. And she was so burnt on that that she went to the extreme, the opposite direction. And it's about discipline. Um, It is about getting right with the Lord. It is about walking with the Lord. It is about following the Lord. And in her mind, it just appeared that all churches were just corrupt. It was a cheap form of grace. Just sign a card, shake a hand, and you're in. So she went really in the opposite direction of where most people... I, I, I would have loved to have seen the look on her face when she got to heaven and wondered, where did all these people come from? You know, my grandmother was on a road... Like, we are on this road, and we need to remember, salvation is not about a one-time event when you came to Jesus. It's not about the one-time thing. You remember where you were at when you accepted the Lord. When, I would say, you found the Lord, but when the Lord found you, and you started working on that process of discovering what it meant To have a relationship with Jesus. It's not about joining a church. It's about a relationship that you can have when you give your life to Christ. It's not a one-time event. Your faith will never be determined by an action that you did once upon a time. Your faith in Christ is seen by what you're doing today. That's what your faith in Christ is. That's how you can measure the, uh, the reality of what is really happening in your life between you and Jesus. It's what you're doing today. It's how you're going to live for Him today. It's how you're going to talk for Him today. It's how you're going to represent Him today. And then when you wake up tomorrow, it's going to be about tomorrow. What you do that day. What you say that day. Your actions of what you will do that day your relationship with christ is not a one-time event your faith is seen or demonstrated by what you are doing right now and this life-changing experience uh, that you profess to have is best seen not what you did but what you are doing so What are you doing right now, I have a question for you. What are you doing right now that will give evidence to what you did when you first went to Jesus? How much evidence is there right now to convict you of being a dedicated Christian? If you were in a court of law and evidence was going to be brought out, weighed out against you to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that you are a believer in Jesus how much evidence could be brought out to show that you are a Christian or maybe you're an imposter. Now, you have often heard the story, just like I have, regarding the disciples as they walked on that road to Emmaus. But today, I want us to consider the walk that they had from Emmaus, not to Emmaus. See, those who walk to Emmaus, they are the people who are wondering about Jesus. They question, they doubt. They're full of a lot of different types of confusion. Um, and all the while, they're walking to Emmaus. And as they're walking to Emmaus, all these types of people, they're going nowhere. They don't know what's going on. They're disappointed. They're confused, they're maybe angry, they're just in shock, but they're walking to Emmaus. Those who walk from Emmaus, they know where they're going. They know who they are, they know where they have been, and they know who is leading them. See, there is a total different contrast when we... Think about that story in the Bible regarding Emmaus. Those who are going there, but those who are leaving there as well. There's two pictures here. And these two pictures represent all of mankind. Every single person, everywhere, is in one of these two journeys. Those headed to Emmaus or those going from Emmaus. And before we get on that road... Before we go on that road trip uh, on that day, I want us to look at just a few things that you know dominated the airwaves that day when those two disciples took off and went to Emmaus. Jesus has just been crucified. It just happened three days ago, and everyone is aware of it. All of Jerusalem is buzzing over the news that the healer, that the teacher, the one that even brought that guy back named Lazarus from the dead, they killed him. Well, who killed him? The Pharisees. They killed him. Why they kill him? Because he, he, he showed himself to be an imposter. He was a fake. He was a fraud. So the religious leaders had him killed. And you can just hear... All the people, especially the men, going, well, you knew that was bound to happen. You can't trust anyone in the church nowadays. That's why I don't go. You can just hear it. Everybody's talking about what they did to Jesus and what happened to Jesus. Some are celebrating. Some are in hiding. And a whole lot of the others are just going back to their daily business of doing what they do, um, just like they did before Jesus came. Nothing changed at all. Three days, three days earlier, this has been in all the papers, it's been on the radio and the TV, the talk shows, it's been everywhere for three days. So I want us to take a look at just three little events that happened during that time just to kind of help kickstart probably the dialogue of what was going on with those disciples when they decided to leave and go to Emmaus. So in your bulletin, the three points. Three things I want us to remember what was part of the discussion of those disciples when they went on that road trip. The first one, we see... Jesus is the mediator, the mediator. In Luke chapter 23, verse 34, the Bible says this. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots, the, the Romans did, dividing up his garments among themselves throughout the entire ordeal of jesus's beating and crucifixion not once do we see jesus asking anything for himself now think about that not one time jesus accepted the plan that god had for him to fulfill in his first thought what was his first thought it was for those who were mistreating him it was for those who were beating him It was for those who were pulling out chunks of hair from his beard. It was for those who put the crown of thorns into his head, not on his head. It was for those that stripped all the flesh off of his back with the Roman scourging. What was Jesus' position at this point? The Bible says his number one thought, His number one concern were for those who were mistreating him. And you see, we don't waste a nanosecond in trash-talking, gossiping, slandering people that just offend us or make us mad. We think it's okay. And here is Jesus with the most unspeakable things being done to him. And what's on his mind? Father, forgive them. Because they don't even know what they're doing. They don't know. Even as the soldier sees the hammer and the nails, his prayer was for them. This is because Jesus is the mediator between God and man. You know, the oldest book in the Bible, the book of Job, uh, we see Job pleading for the opportunity to meet the Messiah. Job never lived to see the day of that happening. But in Job 9.33 on the screen, we'll see what he said. He said, For he is not a man as I am, that I may answer him, that we may go to court together. There is no umpire between us, meaning between he and God, who may lay hand upon both of us. Job didn't live long enough to see his Redeemer. And on this day, those who gazed upon Christ, those who pierced him, they didn't see him either. They didn't see him either. And that's part of the discussion that you know those two disciples going to Emmaus were talking about. But there he was, Jesus praying for them with nothing but love. On the cross, we see Jesus as mediator, the one who would offer himself as a ransom to pay for our sins. And the second point, we see the mockers. We see the mockers. Verses 35 through 38. And the people stood by looking on, and even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, well, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one." And then it says, and the soldiers also mocked him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine, and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now there was also an inscription above him, this is the king of the Jews. They meant it as a form of mocking. Throughout the entire ordeal of Jesus' beating and his crucifixion, Not once do we see Jesus asking anything for himself. And at this time of the mocking, we see everyone mocking him and he replies uh, and saying nothing back to them. Nothing back. Uh, Did you notice that those who mocked Jesus first began by the Hebrews that were at the base of the cross that day? They mocked him as Savior, As unsympathetic as the soldiers were, gambling for his clothes amidst the the shrieks of the condemned who were hanging in front of them, they paled in comparison to the mocking that the Jews threw up at Jesus. The Jewish leaders took the lead in mocking Christ. Uh, He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he is the Son of God. And what they said in their hatred actually had a lot of truth in it when you think about it. He could have saved himself, couldn't he? We read that, don't we, in the Scriptures. The Bible tells us that he could have called down 12 legions of angels. That's 72,000 angels if he would have said, that's it, come, come. I, I, I can't do this. I won't do this anymore. And 72,000 angels would have been on the scene immediately. Now think about that one for a moment. They would have made short work of both Jew and Gentile alike had he called on them, but he didn't do it. Jesus was not only mocked by the Hebrews of that day, mocking him as Savior, but he was also mocked by the heathen. As the Hebrews mocked him as Savior, the heathen mocked him as the sovereign. as the sovereign. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming up to him and offering him vinegar, saying, if you are the king of the Jews, come down and save yourself. See, they picked up their insults that they were hearing from the people who were around them. They were just following along with the loudest tune being played at that moment, which was nothing but blasphemy and mocking at Jesus Christ. Yes, the Hebrews and the heathen that day were mocking him. Not only do we see Jesus as the mediator, not only do we see the mocking that took place, but we also see the malefactors. Now, the malefactors, which were the two thieves that were crucified with Jesus, hung on his left and on his right. The Bible tells us that both thieves were mocking Christ at the beginning. But as time went on, one of those thieves came to his senses, and he rebuked his cursing partner, his friend, his companion. And you'll see what he said up on the screen. The one who came to his senses looks over at his friend and he says, Do you not even fear God, he said, since we are also under the same sentence of condemnation? And he went on, We indeed justly deserve what is happening, for we are receiving and we deserve what is occurring for our deeds. But this man, this man right here, he has done nothing wrong. Isn't it interesting how one man came to his senses right in the nick of time and the other one missed it completely? The one thief recognized the deity of Jesus. Believe me, make no mistake about it. Everyone there that day knew why Jesus was being crucified. Now, there's a lot of arguing as to maybe what that could be, but the religious leaders knew why Jesus was being crucified. He wasn't being crucified because of something that he did, because he didn't do anything wrong. He was crucified because of who he said he was, and that was the act of blasphemy, because he's not the Son of God. He's Joseph and Mary's kid. Who is he? He's a nut. But that thief recognized that Jesus was the, 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 the Son of God, the Messiah. He was the most unlikely person in the most unlikely place at the most unlikely time to recognize us too. How did he come to see Jesus in this way? We may never know. I think that possibly he had heard Jesus at one point preach and teach somewhere. He heard the message. He definitely left that one going, Well, he didn't go too long. He certainly didn't walk away from that one and go, Gosh, you know, I I really, that was a waste of time. You know, he left being impacted by the message, but he didn't do anything with it. How many of you have heard a message before and it was something that was really tugging at your heart, but you didn't do anything with it? I have. Way too many times. I believe that this thief, at once upon a time, he heard Jesus preach somewhere. He was there, but he didn't do anything. He just left the same way he was when he heard or or, uh, before he had heard the message. Maybe he heard about Jesus uh, through the stories of other people talking about him. Uh, Maybe he just observed. The actions of Jesus being in excruciating pain, uncomplaining, and freely forgiving. Only someone like God can do something like that. Amen? Amen. Only God could do something like that. Either way, we may never know. But the one thing we do know, that one thief found forgiveness... And because we know that at some point, the thief looked at Jesus and he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, he recognized Jesus was going somewhere and it was to another kingdom. And immediately, one of the seven things recorded from the cross, in those six hours, that thief looks, or excuse me, Jesus looks at that thief and Jesus says to him, today you will be with me in paradise imagine this the first convert going to the kingdom was a thief a thief worthy of damnation and death and the first one was a thief i think that is amazing because we all we all can get in amen Every single one of us, the grace of God applies to everyone. Unless you don't think you're a thief. Unless you don't think you're a liar. Unless you don't think you're corrupt. It's for all. And that thief recognized it. Jesus acknowledged that to that thief and said, Today you're going to be right with me. Try to imagine the millions and millions of things being talked about by the disciples. By the Roman leaders, by all the Jews, and by all the masses for those three days. It is now Easter morning. It has been three days since Christ has been in that tomb. The women have now gone to the tomb and the body is gone. They were confronted by angels asking them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here for he has risen Just like he said he would do. And then they run and the Bible says they find the disciples. Where are they at? They're hiding. And you would be hiding too if you were one of them. Because you know that you're next. But the women, they knew where they were at. So they run to the disciples and they tell the disciples what they had seen. And that Jesus is alive. And that Jesus is not here. And they brushed them off. Why? Because they were women. They didn't want to listen to them. They were crazy, but the Bible does say that Peter and John got up and they ran to the tomb. The other stayed right where they were at, and it is at this point, I want you to read the road to Damascus, but uh, beginning in verse 13. And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were conversing with each other about all these things which had just taken place. And it came about that while they were conversing and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And Jesus said to them, What are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still, looking sad. And one of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? I'm going to come back to that because that's pretty funny. Now, I like that one because that is one you know how many times he had to roll back in his mind later on at some point in his life did you hear the sarcasm Matthew at Jesus about, are you the only one here? And you don't have a clue what's going on. And it was Jesus, but he didn't know it. Uh, those are the things that are funny to me because I've put my foot in my mouth way too many times. And it says in verse 19, and he said to him, Jesus said to him, what things? So they said to him, the things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word and sight of God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him up to the sentence of death. And they crucified him. But we were hoping, we were so hoping, that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. And then they said this, and this is in ridicule. But also some women among us, they they did get our attention when they were at the tomb early in the morning and they didn't find his body. They came saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said. But him, they didn't see. They didn't see him. And in verse 25, and Jesus said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe, and all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, Jesus explained to them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. And they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though he was just going to go on further. To go on further. Um, And they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it is getting toward evening, and the day is nearly over. And he went in to stay with them. And it came about that when he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and he blessed it. And in breaking it... He began giving it to them. And then in verse 31, And their eyes were opened, and they recognized who it was. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? And they arose that very hour and they returned to Jerusalem and they found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them saying, the Lord really has risen. And he appeared to Simon and they began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them by the breaking of the bread you see, every single one of us are traveling on roads. Roads that, take up, that, that takes us away from home and roads that takes us back home. Going away from home as witness and these two disciples that were traveling to Emmaus is nothing but defeat, discouragement, and disillusionment. And that's exactly what happens when you abandon hope and you give up on God. This is also... Uh, the, The moment when you remove your focus off of Jesus and you start putting it on other things, you're going to be lost. How many of you have found this to be accurate and true in your life? The moment you take your eyes off, everything just goes to pot. So Christ began walking with these two disciples and he is asking them these questions as to what all the commotion was all about. He notices their demeanor. They're sad. They're broken. They're lost. They're defeated. He can see it. So, what does he do? He enters into a conversation with them. And as they're talking about these things, we just looked at just three things that happened the mocking. Uh, The the thieves, the Jews, they're talking about everything. Y'all, they got seven miles to walk. Their car broke down, and they're walking to where they're going to Emmaus. They got a lot of time. So they're talking about everything, and Jesus walks up. The Lord does not allow them to distinguish that it's him. And so as they're talking, Jesus interjects, What are y'all talking about? And one of them, through a lot of sarcasm, remember, they're not in their right frame of mind anyway, they ridicule this guy, which is Jesus. Are you the only one that's in these parks? You don't know what's going on. Did you just wake up from a coma? Have you been sick and ill? How, how can you ask the most dumbest question of the day? How do you not know what's going on? Jesus goes right back well what are you talking about so they begin to relay to Jesus you know what Jesus is doing Jesus is trying to get them to talk about all the things that he has been trying to teach them for three years see they, they quickly closed the book and put it away when he died because their preconception of who Jesus was just didn't pan out it was just a waste of time And so Jesus is playing the part of, well, why don't you tell me what you know as Jesus is walking with them. Seven miles, walking with God down a dirty road going to Emmaus. Let me ask you this. When was the first time you recognized Jesus? Let me ask you this, another question. When was the last time When was the last time that you recognized Jesus? How many times do you think Jesus comes to us and we don't see him? Did you see him when your spouse gave it a go at apologizing to you, but you were still too upset in your self-pity and you would have none of it? Did you see him when that friend of yours listened to you yet again as you poured out your heart over and over about that one issue that is hurting you. Did you see him? Did you recognize him in that worker, in that nursing home, the one who was in charge of changing the diapers of your now helpless parent? Did you see him? Did you recognize him at church when that pounding began inside of your chest Over an area of your life that God wants you to give up and surrender and repent. Did you recognize Him when that friend made an attempt to patch up an old wound between you and that person? Did you recognize Him? How many times does Jesus come to us and we don't recognize Him? We don't see Him. In the passage that we just read... Jesus is reminding his disciples, was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer? Jesus asked Cleopas and his companion on that road that very question. And now in the room back in Jerusalem, he reminds the disciples, it is written that the Messiah should suffer. The price that Jesus paid was for our salvation. But I have a challenging thought for you and me. If it is at Emmaus that we claim and affirm our salvation through the cross, then it is our walk from Emmaus that involves taking up a cross. Let me say it again. The walk, from Emmaus, from Emmaus, involves our taking up of the cross. Now, the cross is not a popular subject, and Jesus never said it was going to be. Jesus said, you'll see this on the screen, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. That's what Jesus said. Y'all, that's, that's a request. That is a request that He is making to you and to me. It's to all of us. If, we're, if you're a believer, this is something Jesus is saying to you and He is saying to me daily. What does this mean to take up your cross? Taking up your cross is something that takes place, now listen, in your thoughts. In your thoughts. That's where this takes place. When thoughts come to your mind that are bad, that are negative, that are sinful, that are critical, gossiping, slanderous, all the types of thoughts that are not pleasing to God when they come to your mind, Jesus says you need to put them to death. It's that inner cross that's right up here. You need to put them to death. You do not allow them to take root and act out uh, from you. You put them to death. See, our thoughts reap actions. And since our minds guard what we allow to go into our hearts, we can keep that from happening by putting it to death. By doing so, we deny ourselves what Satan is trying to get us to act out on. And when you work at transforming your mind, you will begin to see and understand the will of God for your life because you will recognize Him. And then you're going to begin to discover what it is that He is asking of you and especially where He's taking you. Yet these two disciples that day, they had a lot to talk about. Their biggest struggle on that day was putting aside their preconceptions. Their preconceptions on who or what the role of the Messiah was to be. And you know something? We need to do the same thing today. Not so much on who Jesus is and what Jesus did because we know who he is. We know what he did. But it's the preconceptions that deal with what it means to see God once he starts moving among us. And in order to see God move among us and within us, we must do what he says. And I'm going to say that again, and let's all amen it. Because that's the perfect time in this whole message. You need to amen, a point. I'll say it again. In order to see God move within us, we must do what he says. Amen. Amen everybody wants to see growth but nobody wants to commit to doing the very thing that will usher in growth so i want to challenge you this week make this verse i mean, put it in your bulletin or see it up on the screen make this verse your prayer your prayer don't worry about so and so and so, and so. man i sure hope they're reading that verse Whew, they need to read that verse I'm talking about you, and I'm talking about me. Make this verse your prayer this week. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Let's leave Emmaus behind us, and let's go back home where Jesus is. Let's leave the disappointments, let's leave the doubts, let's leave the hurts, all that we took with us when we left to go to Emmaus, and having seen the Lord and experienced the difference that Jesus makes, let's go back and let's go to work. We have to put away our preconceptions or we will make the same mistake. To this point, Max Lucado, my favorite author, he shared a story one time that really ties in this this whole message. He said, quote, Our radio ministry was hosting a radio rally. After my talk, I stayed around to meet the folks who listened to my program. These people had never seen me, but they had heard my voice. And then an elderly lady stepped up. You don't look like you, was her first statement. Excuse me? You don't look like you. Max Lucado is older and his hair is grayer. I hated to disappoint the lady, but she was wrong. I looked just like me. My face would match the picture on my driver's license, but that didn't matter to her. She wanted a face To match her preconception. She had an image in her mind that didn't match the image that she saw. She had to make a choice. She had to accept the true me or live with the wrong impression. And we must do the same with God. When we do, when we let God define himself, a whole new world opens before us. So today I want to ask you, are you traveling to Emmaus or have you left Emmaus and you're going home? Let's pray. Father, we just want to come before you this morning. Jesus, we just want you to know that we want to be traveling right where you are. Father, as we come before you today... God, just like the, uh, the disciples and the people that day, those three days after they crucified you, and they're sitting there and they're discussing all the things that are taking place and probably trying to reason what didn't make sense to them. God, today, we do the same thing. We talk about you, and we'll talk about things that you have said, but we don't implement them. We just keep going on our way. And then we give up, And we forget about your words. We forget about the things that you have said. We don't only not live it out, but we don't act as if we've even heard of the right way in the first place. We just go on. We make our own path. We do our own thing. Jesus, you've told us in in your word today that you will meet us wherever we are at. God, I think the neatest part about that passage you wrote is when the Bible tells us that when they got to Emmaus and those, that seven-mile walk went really fast because of the companion that joined them, that you were going to just go on. But they, they asked you to please stay with them. And Lord, you never reject an invitation. So you went in. And because you went in, you allowed them to see that it was you. And it changed their life. God, I pray this morning that you would help us here today to be people who are inviting. And we ask you to come in. And I pray, Lord, you would help us today to recognize it is you. You're the one that makes a difference. Lord, we want to leave Emmaus and we want to go back we want to be at the place where you have told us to be and not leave so I pray God today that you would help us here to discover the importance of not only walking with you but doing the very thing you have asked us to do in Jesus name amen